2011, uh, praise God, the church is still here. Uh, this is our continuing post-apocalypse party. <laughs> Fox News was not correct, um, and the church did not fly away. We're very much here and alive. By the way, the church of God, the church of the living God, is something that can't be contained in four walls. The Bible never refers to a building as a church, not one time, never, referring to people. And you are the building blocks of God's kingdom. You are a spiritual house in which the Holy Ghost dwells that you could call a temple. Now, some people refer to these buildings as sanctuaries. I believe a sanctuary is a place that you raise birds. This is a powerhouse. It's an energy factory. It is a place where all the power of God is at the disposal of God's people and only used at His discretion. But you are world changers. That is how God designed you. That is how He made you to be. You were never supposed to be insignificant. You were never supposed to stand on the sidelines and watch life go by. He made us the salt or the light of the world. He made us something that brings life everywhere we go. That is what a Christian is called to. He said, let our light shine. Not necessarily a loudspeaker, but let your light shine. I believe your faith ought to be obvious. So, are you in the book of Amos? Our message this morning is called, Walk This Way. Uh, Yeah, those of you that were on the river with me yesterday have an idea where this came from. It's amazing what drunk rednecks sing uh, while they're floating down New Bronzeville's Comel River. Uh, A strange merging of uh, hairband heavy metal and... uh, Run DMC's rap, you know. Uh, Run DMC covered this song somewhere in the mid-80s. I think I was in junior high. And uh, it was the first rap song that made it into popular culture across all spectrums. Uh, Walk This Way, I think, hit four or five on the top 100 billboards and kind of launched a whole genre. You know, this is why you have kids in suburbia with... uh, their seats kicked back and, uh, and, and they're barely looking over the steering wheel and most of them have never been oppressed in any way in their life but they're singing songs uh, about an oppressed people right? Yeah. This is because it became popular culture everywhere. Now if you can't relate to that at all and I can see on some of your faces you cannot relate to that at all you don't even know what I'm talking about Papa, in 1963 Frankie Valli in the Four Seasons sang a song called Walk Like a Man you remember? They walked like men, they sang like women. You don't remember that? Okay, Mike, thank you. Thank you, somebody here. Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons, really? You guys know me? Yeah. Okay, yeah, I mean, it was the number one hit in 63. Mama, you were entering high school, huh? Yeah. <laughs> See, the elders aren't here. <laughs> the way that a person walks indicates something about them. Ask John Travolta. Right? <laughs> if I say to you, in fact, I was having dinner with someone the other night in this church, and uh, I said, hey, would you like to go for a walk? Or they asked me to go for a walk. Number one, it indicates some kind of agreement. You have to decide to set out on a mutual path together. Then while you're walking, you know, presumably this invitation doesn't go out to a thousand people. It, it, it indicates some kind of intimacy. I would like to share a moment with you where we can converse and the whole world is not listening. Can you relate to that? Yeah. Think, think back to old times courtship days. You know, you didn't go to dinner in a movie, guys. You 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 went out for a stroll, right? And it was usually a chaperone. Somebody walked seven, eight paces behind you, right? 
If it's my daughter, they'll still be chaperones. <laughs> so uh, walking indicated some kind of intimacy, some kind of agreement, and maybe most importantly, it was an action. Anytime people do something together, anytime they endure some event together, especially if it's physically trying, there's a bond that occurs. Last year, Matthew and I were in Yami Palam. This is a valley in India. And uh, also Mike was there. Uh, we didn't see him because he was so far ahead of us walking out of this valley. But there's a bond that was created. When I mention those words, I think back to both Matthew and I struggling and having to encourage each other to walk out of this valley. And those of you that have participated in athletic events, you might have felt some of these things at times. Anytime you endure something, are there any cancer survivors in the room today? Wow, okay. You immediately identify with other people who have done those things. Walking is important. In Amos 3, let's start in the first verse. There. Hear this word, the Lord has spoken against you. O people of Israel, against the whole family I brought up out of Egypt. God brought a group, a family, the descendants of Abraham specifically through his son Israel out of Egypt. You only have I chosen of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your sins. Before we move forward, God invited them on a journey. He asked them to go with him. Do you remember he led them? It started with a crossing of the Red Sea. Then with a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day, he took them on a stroll. Many times it was circular. It didn't have an end point in, in line. Uh, it was simply to display them before all the nations. In fact, it was 38 years from, um, from the time they first got to the Jordan to the time they got back the second time. Can you imagine going on a walk with somebody with no destination? They simply wanted to see if you camped when they camped. If you set out when they set out, how closely did you follow them? In the book of Galatians, I believe it's the end of the fifth chapter, it says, since we know what it is to live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. All of God's people are walking with Him, and it began with Israel walking with Him. You only have I chosen of all the families of the earth, therefore I will punish you for all your sins. If He invites you, He will hold you accountable for how closely you follow Him. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? If you're a King James fan, that verse may say something like this. How can two walk together unless they're in agreement? The point for reading from the book of Amos at this juncture is that God has invited us. He's invited His people on a journey with Him. He did not say, please sit in a chair and at a few strategic places as a doctrinal statement's read, go, uh-huh. And that will constitute faith. He never said that. He never said a head nod or a hand raised with every eye closed and every head bowed would indicate His people. What He teaches from the very beginning is that trusting Him and showing it in your actions, i.e. walking with Him, would call you His people. I want to show you that in the Word today because He holds people He called accountable for how they walk. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 5. Tell me when you're there. One of you. I hope that more of you would follow me. There. 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 
In Deuteronomy 5, we have a restating of the law. We have all of the commandments that Moses was given on the mountain, beginning with the first ten. Some people call it the Decalogue. They've got all kinds of names for this. What it amounts to is God has just spoken to a nation audibly. The nation then responded by saying, that scares us to death. Could we have an anointed representative go and mediate between God and man? We would like that much better. Can you imagine an entire nation hearing the voice of God at one time? I mean, I remember it was Bill Clinton, who I was not a giant fan of, as you might surmise, but he, you point out wisdom wherever you see it. He said the problem with hearing from God is you're not always right. He said that. He was speaking about the people in Waco, Texas. Now, a whole nation hearing something at once, though, that ought to be incontestable, huh? In fact, this might be one of the bigger miracles, if not the largest miracle, that the world has ever known. For a population that numbered in the millions to hear an audible voice from the heavens and all agree on what it said. And yet, listen to what God says immediately after that. Verse 29. Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me, and keep all my commands always, so that it might go well with them and their children forever. Why did God give His Word? He wanted it to teach us for us to go well. He wanted us to have lives that were really life and not merely existence. But even though an entire nation heard His Word at one time, He still said, Oh, that their hearts were inclined to follow Me. What does that tell you about their hearts? They were not inclined. Listen to what on he goes to say. Go tell them to return to their tents, but you stay here with me, so that I may give you all the commands, decrees, and laws you are to teach them to follow in the land I am giving them to possess. So be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or the left. Walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. All of God's people heard His Word at one time. God sighed, ah, that their hearts were inclined to follow Him. He said He, he, he hoped in the center of His being, heart is lead, He hoped in the center of His being that they would want to follow Him. And then He said, you, you do not turn to the left or the right, fight distraction." Follow me in all of these ways. And yet in the modern church, we have reduced all of this idea to one statement. Believe on Jesus and you'll be saved. Friends, if you believe on Jesus, you must do what He says. It's much like the world religions that say Jesus is a prophet rather than the Son of God. But they do not listen to what the prophet says. You know, Muslims have no problem saying Jesus was a prophet. But they don't do what He says. In fact, when they call the man Jesus, they're talking about a different Jesus, really. Because their Jesus is Muslim and submits to the Mahdi. Goes into the temple, proclaims Islam as the world religion. That's not Jesus, is it? How do you know whether or not someone is really following the Lord? Well, popular culture would have you believe that you can't know. That it's simply a matter of the inward heart and a decision. In fact, we quickly say things like, judge not, judge not. Can't quote the verse before it. Can't quote the verse after it. But judge not. God knows what's in my heart. He does know what's in our heart. 
do we? Listen, when you plant a seed in the ground, a tree will eventually pop out. How do you know what kind of tree it is? Do you ask the seed what was in its heart? Or do you look for a certain kind of fruit? Our walk is the demonstration of what we believe in our heart, whether we like what we see or we don't. If all of your money, all of your time, and all of your affection goes towards murdering Bambi, I'm teasing. I'm all for it. If you kill deer, bring them to me, I will eat them. I just don't like to shoot them. If that is where all of your attention and focus goes, that says something about your heart. Out of the abundance of a man's heart does his mouth speak. Well, what do you like to speak about? God. Out of our heart, we determine a direction and we walk in it. Ladies, how how apt would you be to follow a guy throughout your eternal covenant, your, your marriage, that says, I love you, but slaps you every day? Why, why is there no response to that? It's okay, you can speak. Flora, would you like to marry a man that hits you every day? No. Would it matter how many times he says he loves you? Because his actions would be saying one thing and his words would be saying another. Jesus spoke about the church of his day and said exactly that. Paul, I'll read it to you in a minute. Paul followed it up in a letter to Titus and he said, their words acknowledge him and their actions deny him. We need to make sure, as James said, that we show our faith by what we do. That will be the aim of this message today. Is that okay with you? Or would you rather just hear a message on greasy grace and sloppy agape that says you're all champions already. Don't do anything. Sit in your seats, drop change in the plate, and get out quickly because there's another service coming. It's up to you. We could do either. We'd have no problem paying our rent if we did the latter. This is not how Jesus taught. In fact, what was the way that he called his disciples? Anybody got the first few words? Come follow me. His disciples still are following him. Where was he headed? It was a three-year journey that circled all over the place, much like the desert, but went to the cross. Turn with me then to Genesis 5. I would like to tell you that in Deuteronomy, when these words were were stated, it was a call to old-time religion. This is funny because in every generation, there's a call to old-time religion. And to some people, that simply means that they uh, uh, want a certain style music, right? Uh, I have, we've been condemned many times for our music. Uh, every generation that loves the Lord begins to worship Him in whatever the music of their day is. If you uh, came from the 60s, Creedence Clearwater Revival and the Beatles might shade your style of worship. If you were born in the 1700s, then what Martin Luther uh, wrote may... By the way, they were the bar tunes of this day. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. Did you know that? Yeah, they, they were. Uh, that was the places that had pianos. They had organs. And if you were not Catholic and did not go to the Catholic monastery or the Catholic uh, cathedral, then the other place you had access to musical instruments were the bars. Do you know why uh, Protestants worship at 10 a.m. and not 8 a.m.? Anybody got a guess? Well, he was late doing worship practice Saturday evenings at the local pub. A church history will set you free from some of the things that we so ardently cling to. This was a call to old-time religion in 1400 B.C. Well, what would old-time religion be? In 1400 B.C., the people had been slaves. They'd been slaves for 400 years, and God was calling them out because He saw their oppression and He loved them. A funny thing, God will let you become oppressed 
so that you will desire a Savior. And then He will demonstrate His love to you. The oppression is never the result of God doing something to you. It is simply you choosing certain things and God allowing you to reap the benefit of those. But He rescues us from it. Anybody in here ever been oppressed? Come on now. I know exactly what it was like to be in a prison every day that I had made for myself. My own actions were hemming me out on every side. And in the midst of that darkness, He spoke to me. He taught me to follow Him and He's led me out of that dungeon. Come on now. If you were ever on death row, you'd be so happy to be part of it. If you're critical of jailhouse religion, I would submit to you that there is no other kind. Are you in Genesis 5? There In Genesis 5, in the 24th verse, we hear a statement about a man named Enoch. Enoch walked with God. Then he was no more. Because God took him away. When speaking of those who were in relationship with God versus those who were ignoring their God-given relationship with Him, uh, the Bible distinguished Enoch from his generation by saying he walked with Him. What did God do in the cool of the day with Adam? He walked with Him. Would you be surprised to know then that in Genesis 6-9, Noah, a man distinguished from his generation, a man who was upright and blameless, did something with God. What do you believe that he did with him? He walked with him. This led to something. Actually, let me read you Genesis 17 before we get out of it. It would be Genesis 17, the first verse. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you, and you will greatly increase your numbers. God never spoke to the patriarch Abraham, the father of the faithful, and said, what I would like you to do is believe in this creed. Never. Never at any time did he sit down with Abraham and present a doctrinal statement for Abraham to intellectually ascend to. The call of God to the man of faith was, if you trust me, then walk with me. This implies movement. By the way, the word for God's Spirit in Hebrew is ruach, exactly the same word for wind. If you want to say it in Greek, it's pneumos, exactly the same word spirit and wind. Wind is not wind if it is not moving. It would be air, it would be something else. God is always on the move, always working. The question is, are we in step with Him? Because you would have to be walking with Him to be in step with Him. Do we have any military families in here today? we got hands pointing to the back and the front. One of the first things that you teach soldiers, one of the very first things in boot camp, is how to march in cadence. Right? And you sing songs, these are like hymns, to help people walk in beat. And you form rows in unity. This is like fellowship. We're teaching somebody what it is to flow under a command. To step when they say step. To stop when they say stop. Because this puts them in authority over you. When you see a church that does not move, that does not stop, that does not listen to the commanding voice, then you have a church that no one is Lord of. What if a soldier simply said, Hey, drill sergeant, it was in my heart to follow you. How well would that end? All the military families have just glanced at the ground quickly because you don't want to answer with the kind of words the drill sergeant 
would say to you. Yeah, and if you were in the military long enough ago when they still shaved your eyebrows and stuff off as an initiation, you might even got a pop upside the head. That's before they air-conditioned the battleships, huh, Fred? Well, that's a big change in the military. When they became uh, the soldiers became, uh, their comfort became a concern. Same things happen with the church. Our comfort is what we're concerned about. Friends, in Deuteronomy, we have a whole nation being called back to something. What were they being called back to? A time when the whole world was going to hell in a handbasket, but a few men walked with God. It was old-time religion in 1400 B.C., and as many times as it was called out, it was always old-time religion, because in every generation there are very few who actually do it. So much so that at the end of the first century, John could write in his epistles, if you love him, you will keep his commands and walk as he walked. What was the litmus test? Was it Dr. Olaseth? No, it was walking as he walked. Turn with me to Mark 7. I need to teach you something about Hebrew history and about the culture of the Jews, and this will make an awful lot of sense to you. Have you ever read a verse and somebody said, well, that's your interpretation, right? It's usually if your interpretation in some way steps on theirs. Um, although I found it very useful at times when you read something like, he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And they say, well, that's your interpretation. To turn the book around and say, really, what's yours? It's amazing silence. We are not used to having our points of view challenged in any way. In fact, we have grouped into little sectarian groupings to absolutely avoid the possibility that anybody might challenge an opinion. We do this by things like saying, if you're going to fellowship here, we as... You name a title. Yeah, somebody did up front. As you name that title, this is what you must believe to be here. Now, I understand there are some incontrovertible truths in the Bible. Jesus is Lord. He bodily resurrected. He's the Son of God. The Bible is inerrantly the Word of God. All kind of beautiful, incontrovertible truths in the Word. But when we slice up the Word of God for the purpose of excluding anybody with a different opinion, isn't that pretty cowardice? By the way, why do denominations have big conventions every year with themselves? They already know what they think about everything. Why do they meet with themselves? Wouldn't it be better if the Baptists met with the Methodists and the Methodists met with the Presbyterians and the Presbyterians met with the Pentecostals? At least we could group the letterings together, right? Somebody could get all their acronyms straight. Wouldn't that be great? We could call some with, some without. <laughs> we, we could do all kinds of things. The reason that people don't do this is we gravitate towards those that accept us exactly as we are right now. Exactly as we are right now. You need to understand something. Our Lord accepts you the way that you are, but demands that you change. Right? He will meet you right where you are. The woman caught in adultery, stones in hand, and refused to condemn you. But what does He say? Go and sin no more. He requires actions that change. Our church is taken to an axiom that's on bumper stickers in many of our cars. It says, less talk and more walk. It's based on James 2.18. How beautiful would it be if you did not have to ask anyone if they were a believer, you could simply see it. What does it say if 76% of a nation says that they are Christians? 76%. 
and well over 50% have serious doubts about their neighbors. That says nobody lives the creed that they profess. Nobody. I would suggest that that's not quite true. There's a remnant always. You're being invited to that now. Not because this church has anything right, but because the living God has things right. And there are churches like this one, and even within denominations all over the world that are led by godly men, and they have godly congregations. But it is not simply a political organization that exists to raise money and build buildings. Hmm? You ever been in a church that never stopped having a building program, but the church was not growing? Think about that one for a while. It's really not a lot different than the city of Sugar Lane tearing up roads just to have something to do. Right? Because as long as there's construction going on, it looks like life. Am I stepping on somebody's toes today? I'm not trying to. Okay, I am trying to. I'm not allowed to lie while I preach. Are you all in Mark 7? We'll get back to the word. Less Eric and more Jesus. Wouldn't that be good? You're okay to amen at that. <laughs> Look at uh, 7 starting in verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of His disciples eating food with hands that were unclean. That is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing. Mama was right about some things, right? Holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. Is that a bad thing? Anybody think it's a bad idea to wash your hands? I mean, go work in our children's church for a little while. Watch what all they do with their hands. I'm a big fan of washing. I think it's a good thing. But listen to what Jesus said. Uh, first, verse 5. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? It seems that we're talking about different kinds of unclean here for a moment. One refers to dirt on body and the other refers to some kind of moral filth on the soul. Could a rational person say that dirt on the body causes moral filth? No, and yet cleanliness is next to godliness has been an axiom quoted in households for years. Not in the Word. One thing that I want to point out about the Scripture because it points to an underlying structure, an underlying theme that is here. He said, Why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders? Now Protestants hear something like that and go, Oh yeah, church traditions, they're bad, right? Especially if the tradition is elevated above God's Word. We hear that and we immediately put it in a Western Indo-European context of revolt against apathy, who gave us traditions that were not based on the Word. And maybe you didn't do that, but that is what I would normally do when I read that. This is not what this says. And NIV did their very best to translate it. They're brilliant, smart men, but they translated it in a way that makes sense to them and is not exactly what it says. If you have a New American Standard in here today, if you have a King James or a New King James, if you have any of the more literal translations, it will say they do not walk according to the traditions of our fathers. So which is it? Is it something that we need to accept? Or is it something that we need to do? Let me tell you what the Jews call this. It's in your bulletin. It's called halak or halakah. 
It means their entire legal system. And here's how it was derived. Keith and I are sitting around having an espresso right outside Mount Sinai. We just heard God speak. And he said, uh, you shall do... Oh, you, we could do it in King James, right? Everybody envisions God speaking in King James. Thou shalt not work on the Sabbath. Did you know how ungodly King James was? That's another one. What a strange man. He went years of his life without bathing because he believed that his uh, nastiness was good. He feared bathwater. Um, yeah, that's an interesting thing. The King James Bible is called King James because he, he authorized it. He authorized it under severe political pressure. He was worried about a revolt in his kingdom if he didn't because the Germans had a Bible in their own language and the English needed one too because the French were on the way and the English hate the French. Didn't it need to find out how you got your translation? What the Jews would do is Keith and I are having an espresso. We heard from the mountain, Thou shalt not work on the Sabbath. Honor it. Keep it holy. And he says, Do you think making the espressos work? I said, No, certainly espressos not work. Well, what if we had to carry a bag of coffee beans? Well, I don't know. How heavy is it? Well, this one is one pound. It says, I don't understand. Speak to me of you. Right? So we're debating what is and is not working. At some point, we decide that a certain weight coffee bean is work, but a, under a certain weight is not work. Have you ever heard the phrase Sabbath day's walk? This is because... We're walking along the road, and at some point, we've walked too far, and it's considered work on the Sabbath. So you have to imagine, you know, I'm on my way to your house, can't work on the Sabbath. Oh, your house is right there, but I can't go any further because that would be considered work. Now, that seems silly to us, some of us, not all of us. But the bottom line is, people who heard God's Word had to decide how to walk it out. So the Jews refer to their entire legal system, whether we wash, don't wash, how many times we wash, uh, what it means to sacrifice certain things and the way that you sacrifice them, what it means to give generously, all of those things. And by the way, if I say give generously, one says $2 is generous. Another says, no, nothing under 20 is, is generous. Another goes, man, you need to work some zeros into that. He was the preacher. But in any case, <laughs> at some point, we cross a line into generous, and we can all argue that there is a spectrum there that we have to work with. The Jews wanted to know, how do I walk out these commands? If these had been Greek-speaking people, if they had been Greek-thinking people, then they would have said simply, how should we think about this? But Jewish people said, how do I carry it out? Greeks would have said, what should I believe? But Hebrews say, how do I do it? Do you hear the difference in thought? On the day of Pentecost, Peter preached. And he preached a, a, a magnificent sermon. Do you remember what the response of the Jewish people was? What must we do to be saved? They did not ask him, what should we believe then? When does, when does it come time to close our eyes and raise a pinky? Because we're ready. They didn't do that. They wanted to know what about their life and the totality of their life needed to change if they were going to follow this new direction. By the way, before 1970s, when a cult co-opted the title, God's people were referred to in the Word in the Newer Testament as followers of the 
quickly because it was something that you walked in, not something that you simply believed. Look at verse 6. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commandments of God and are holding on to the traditions of man. The irony here is several layers deep. They are talking to Jesus about how you walk something out, but their walking it out doesn't look anything like the commandment. Wow. This means that they could stand around and talk about the right way to do it. They could say, our lips have said all of the right things, our doctrinal statements have P's in the right places and, and dots above the eyes. But when it came down to actually applying it to a life, they were more concerned about dirt on a man's hands than dirt in his spirit or on his soul. If you don't think that this is alive and well today, I will list for you churches that range uh, from the charismatic arena that most people would throw us into, although I'm not thrilled about that title, to uh, the most strict cessationist you'll ever find. And depending on whether your hair touches your collar, girls, whether you've ever had a permanent, even though you get to do those again and again, uh, you will or will not be accepted. Whether it's JJ with his beard, if it's not passion play time, he might not make it in. <laughs> yeah. Full and full and full of extraneous details that are like window dressing. They make us look good on the outside. I mean, we got the right what would Jesus do bracelet. We got the right bumper sticker on the car. We attend church twice a week. But in the depths of our heart, there is no obedience to the Lord. Man, it's like when Isaiah prophesied in 740 B.C., he could have been speaking to us, no matter what your background is. In this room today, we have former United Methodists. We have those who would consider themselves still Wesleyan Methodists. We have former Baptists, former Catholics. Seventh-day Adventists, and then some like me that were just pagans. A couple Lutherans in the room. And yet you're all here because you felt something different. You're here because something about your experience with God, when you begin to worship Him, when you begin to hear about His Word, transcends those things. And you understand innately, it comes down to what I do. The whole church world defines their faith by what they don't do. We're Baptists, so we don't dance. We're Pentecostals, so we don't grow beards. We are Nigerians, so we don't wear pants. I don't know what it is, but it's always what we don't do. And I'm suggesting that a Christian walk is more rightly defined by what you actually do. And we could call that walking with God. When you see Him step, you're taking a step. When you see Him reach out for something, you're reaching out. Is this not what Jesus taught in John 5? Amen. I only do what I see my Father do. I only say what I hear Him say. Walking. There's an invitation that has gone out for us to walk with him. Turn with me to Isaiah 30. Oh, that pastor, why does he bash on other churches? I'm bashing on them all equally, us included. We fall all of us into a category of habitual thinking. And we believe that because we believe certain things, 
we're holy in believing them. James 4.17 defines sin as the knowing the good that you ought to do and not doing it. Did you hear that? You sin when you know something should be done that is good and you do not do it. When's the last time you heard sin defined that way outside of this church? You always hear that sin is when you look at what you shouldn't look at, when you eat what you shouldn't eat, when you wear what you shouldn't wear, when you listen to what you shouldn't listen to. Sin is always doing something wrong. The Bible first and foremost defines sin as not doing what is right. Wow, what defines your faith? I hope most of you in here uh, say, hey, I am a believer. I also hope some of you in your very heart right now are wrestling with the fact, what does that mean? Would other people around me call me a believer? Will they have to pay a pastor to lie if my funeral was today? You know, I, I, uh, I'm not a big fan of Christian t-shirts. I mean, I like them all right, but I buy most of my clothes at Walmart. Actually, the truth is, Jim buys most of my clothes at Walmart. And things like this you can get for about six bucks if you buy them at the right time of year on the right rack. Okay? And, you know, I, I don't know. I've just not been that into fashion since uh, she said I did. <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. But the shirt that I get the most comments on, no matter where I am, uh, I can be in specs buying wine for communion. <laughs> and they'll ask about it. Be at Walmart, I can be in the Christian bookstore. It says, live in a way that doesn't make your pastor lie your you. And I get that all of the time. Y'all can't hear? Sorry. I'll speak louder. I'm sorry. Thank you. There we go. Is that better? Yes. Okay. It says, live in a way that doesn't make a pastor lie at your funeral. I get questions about that one all of the time because we've all been to those funerals, haven't we? Yeah. I never knew this man who we just planted in the ground, but his family tells me he had a wonderful, vibrant faith in Jesus. If I poll anybody outside of the family member that told me that, none of them will have known he was a Christian. But he's guaranteed a resurrection. The first funeral that I ever preached was a man in my own family. Uh, I was not yet ordained, not yet licensed, didn't have all of those qualifications. So there was standing next to me a pastor uh, that never knew the man who was in the ground who was reading uh, Corinthians 15 about the resurrection. And when I got through sharing, my aunt slapped my face, but all of the cousins wanted to know what it was to be saved. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. Why do we only consider how we walk when the walk is over? I would say today is the day of salvation. Now is the time to consider it. Now is the time to make course correction. Listen to how Isaiah speaks about walking with the Lord. So Isaiah 30, look at verse 18. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. I don't know how you think of the Lord, but the Scripture presents Him in this light. He longs for something. You wouldn't think the God of the universe would long for anything. I mean, if He wanted light, He could go light. And there's light. He could look at dust and go, man, and there's a man there. But he longs for something, something that only you can give him. Your obedience, your love, your affection. He longs to be able to be gracious to you. He does not want to have to be judgmental towards you. He does not want to have to punish 
sin. He does not want to have to exclude some from His presence. He wants to be gracious towards you. He rises to show you compassion. Those of you that were here on Mother's Day might remember this. This word indicates the kind of compassion that is so gentle, so tender, that it would be like a mama carrying a baby in her womb. He longs to be able to have you close enough to hear His heartbeat. He longs to be able to have you close enough that He can provide nutrition for you. He longs for you to be completely wrapped up in Him, this word compassionate means. The same way that Irma's son is inside of her belly right now. He longs for that. That's not weird. That's sincere, unadulterated emotion towards you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for Him. O people of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious He will be when you cry for help. When do you cry for help, friends? Who in here has ever cried for help? When you're in trouble. So He lets you get in trouble so that He can rescue you from it. Nobody ever gets rescued who does not know that they're in trouble. They fight against the rescue. One of the real problems, even Billy Graham said this. He said, America has received enough weak, dead Christianity to have inoculated it from the real thing. We don't know what we need. We're convinced that because we're ever hearing, we're righteous. The problem is we are never doing. You know what? Righteousness and generosity in the New Testament are the same word. Acts of charity are called acts of righteousness. Isn't that an interesting thing? The Bible doesn't say if you pray, if you give to the poor, if you. It says when you. But these things are foreign to our way of life. We attend services. Maybe we drop some change in the plate and usually not quite what we would leave a waiter at a restaurant. And we say, I'm okay, you're okay, let's just agree to be okay and go on our way. God is longing that He could be gracious to us, longing that He could be compassionate. So He appoints teachers. Brother Michael, wherever he is, read this scripture to us and a light bulb went off in my head. Listen. It says, O people of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious He will be when you cry for help. As soon as He hears, He will answer you. Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity, and the water of affliction. Your teachers will be hidden no more. Why am I experiencing so much difficulty, so much hardship? Because the sum total of our choices are bad. The direction we're walking in is not good. So God provides for us experience. You want to read a story about a man who was on the right road but headed the wrong direction? We have a man who was in Jerusalem but is headed down to Jericho. So an act of grace happens. The act of grace is not that a man came and took care of him after he got beat up. The act of grace is that he got beat up and it stopped him from going all the way to Jericho. Because he was going the wrong way. The bread of affliction, the waters of adversity are those goads that have been placed in our life that goes, I better not keep going this way, it kind of hurts. I've been lying down with dogs and I've gotten fleas. We need to find a new crowd. Psalm says, Psalm 1, 
Blessed is the man who does not walk in the way of the unrighteous. You have to work with them. You don't have to spend all of your time with them. And while you're there, you can be with them, but not of the same substance as them. They should be scratching their head going, it's strange that they don't plunge into the same flood of dissipation that we're in. They should be, you should have to be ready for the question that they ask you about the reason for your hope. Are you so distinct among your colleagues in the faith that they would ask you about your life? Or have you run alongside them wanting their approval, wanting their attention, so that you've become just like them? It is not too late, friends. You can take your stand on any day. I tell you, religion that moves you on Sunday but on Monday leaves you unchanged is useless. Useless. Keith Green wrote in a song in the 70s, you'll only come to me on Sundays and Wednesdays. Don't bother coming at all. His own wife and his closest friends tried to talk him out of it. It is so harsh, but he would not be dissuaded because it's the truth. No matter how harsh. Nobody would accept a covenant partner, a spouse, that did not love them every day. That would not walk with them every day that said, I'll give you two days a week. And we'll wear our finest clothes and tell each other lies. That's a prom date, friends. That is not a spouse. Our God longs to be gracious to us. So he puts things in our way to cause us to bump into, to cause us to feel a roughness, to cause us to be drawn towards something that is smooth, a highway in the right way. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice saying behind you, this is the way, walk in it. Then you will defile your idols, overlaid with silver and your images covered with gold. What does it mean an idol to be overlaid with silver or covered with gold? Silver was redemption. It means that you take something that is idolatrous, but you actually cover over it with the language of redemption so that it feels churchy, you know? It's a funny thing. Many times when people are falling away from the Lord, they act even more religious. You know? Somebody who is single begins to move in with somebody that is not their spouse. But it's cloaked in all kind of First Lady Jennifer... Mrs. Godly, so-and-so, such-and-such, all the right church language. And it is really just covering something idolatrous and silver. What does it mean to cover an idol with gold? It means to ascribe to it divinity. I'm singing for the Lord today, but I want you to notice how well I sing. I'm preaching for the Lord today, but I want you to think I'm smart and speak well. This house that I have that we're fellowshipping in was given to me by the Lord so that we could fellowship in it. But did you notice my signature paintings? Did you notice my diplomas on the wall? All rife with the pride of life. Jesus was not this way, friends. He had none of those things to draw people to Him. What people found attractive about Him was that He walked like God. In fact, the whole legal system of Holocaust, 
the entire thing. Here is a command. Now, how would we carry it out? The whole Jewish legal system, you could find walking and talking and breathing as Jesus. What would a command look like if it were here in the flesh? Well, it would look like the Word of God that became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Jesus was a living, breathing Torah or Bible or Isaiah spoke and said there would be a day when we would have been taught where the nation of Israel and you Graftians would be taught how to walk. You would hear his voice say, here it is, or there it is. So let me ask you, here's one that's sure to get silence in the room. Right before that special click on a mouse that is taking you into a world you should not be in, did you hear the voice of the Spirit saying, Right before you bought that dress, that ring, that new hairstyle, whatever it was that you were sure would make you feel better about your life and yourself, did you hear the voice of the Spirit saying, don't, your beauty is not derived from such things? See, when it comes down to it, it's not about our creeds. It has nothing at all to do with the kind of building you fellowship in or the clothes that you wear. Or the style of your worship, fast, short, syncopated rhythm, not strings, no strings, pianos, Sister Bertha better than you or not better than you. None of those things make any difference when it comes down to it. Is your obedience displayed in your life or is it not? The Great Commission did not teach people to go out and believe the Word. The Great Commission said, go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey. And obedience shows up in a walk. Look, you pick any one of my children. Let's pick the youngest. She's the cutest. <laughs> Abby, clean up your room. Okay. I believe that's the right thing to do. Okay, she just sits there. Is that obedience? What if I told her to clean up her room and she says, I'll get around to it and two weeks goes by. It's that obedience. How about two days? How about two hours? See, now we're hollering. What we're doing is we're trying to find out how slow can obedience be and still be obedient. I would argue that slow obedience is equal to no obedience. Either we run to do His will or He is not our Lord. How patient is your drill sergeant with you when you are not marching in cadence? You might get to run laps around the rest of the platoon while they march. Slow obedience is no obedience. You do not have the right to sit and deliberate what you know is right. You have the opportunity before being saved to count the cost of what it will mean to be a Christian. After you are a Christian... We no longer calculate cost of doing what is right. You only can calculate the cost of doing what is wrong. Doing what is right comes, and you've already given your life, it doesn't matter. But you are able to look and go, if I don't do this, what will it cost you? This is really what the parable of the Good Samaritan is about. The parable of the Good Samaritan is not about the man who's hurt. It's about the man who made the decision. If I go help him, it will inconvenience me. It might put me at risk. It might do all these things, but he calculated the cost, not the cost to him. The cost to the man if he didn't go help. 
What would it cost that man if he didn't stop and help him? See, James 4.17 teaches us rightly, when you know the good you should do and don't do it, you sin. Turn with me to Isaiah 35. Are you all quiet because you're mad at me or you're bored and you just want to go? Look, I'm hungry, so we're, we're not going to preach here forever. I want to make sure that you get this. And if you hear my stomach growl, then you'll know we're in the same boat. Okay. Isaiah 35, let us start in verse 8. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor will any ferocious beast get up on it. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Yeah, but you convince me that you can be walking in the way and be gloomy and depressed and unhappy and ticked off at the people that are around you. Well, that's not the way. By the way, when we said there will be a highway there, why do you have a highway and not a service road? Why do you have a highway there and not a local street? Because it was built for everybody to travel on. But not everybody's going to. We've got this beautiful expressway that teaches us how to live. It's something that we walk out His commands. It's a pathway of life. But most just look and go, no, not for me. I would rather stay right where I am doing right what I'm doing and getting what I've always got. We hear the call that goes out all of the time, all of the time. But the real question is not how you endure this message. It's what happens Monday morning when your alarm clock goes off. How do you start that day? When you come back to, from lunch or go to lunch with all of your peers, how does that go? When you come home from work and address your spouse for the first time, how does that go? I'm not preaching a gospel that is self-help or that is based on works. I'm saying if you trust Him, i.e. if you have faith in Him, you must walk as He walked or you do not have trust in Him. I'm saying that a man's faith is evidenced by what he does and does not do. I'm saying that your Christianity is not a private matter or something that only God knows your heart. I'm saying that everyone around you if they're honest about you, can look and describe what defines your life. Can you be honest with yourself? Can you look in the mirror and say, is this frown my divine future? Is this pessimism my defining moment? Is the Spirit of God inside of me moving me saying you're capable of more. Is that possible? <coughs> Isaiah 35 teaches about a way of holiness. In Acts 9, verse 2, the Apostle Paul speaking, says, I persecuted followers of the way. In the first century, there was no such thing as Christians and Jews. 
There were only Jews who had found the way of holiness, the way to walk. There were Jews who said, I follow Yeshua, Messiah, the way. And they were called followers of the way. Jewish history writes it down and calls them Nazarenes. Anything other than calling them the way because there's a glaring truth about those who walk in the way. If you are not walking with them, you are not in the way. And nobody likes that truth. It's not just universalists or new age people who want to say it. In everybody's heart, they want to believe there are many ways. This is the way that I do it. And that's the way that they do it. And this is just our personalities. Now, Jesus is the standard, friends. The Bible contains mitzvahs that are commands. They're not requests. They're not suggestions. They are commands about the way that we would walk. The Bible does not say that you can fellowship with darkness and claim to be walking in the way. In fact, it goes the opposite. It says, if we say we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Well, who is it that we lie to first and foremost? Ourselves. We say, oh, no, no, I'm good. I'm in the way. I sat in church service after church service. My parents got right with the Lord and began dragging me to church. I got to see the old men that were red-faced. got to see the young men that were preaching that were new and hip. got to see the guys with collars, the guys without collars. I know what it is to see a pastor on the local television caught in the ugly things that he shouldn't be caught in. got to see all the good, the bad, and the ugly. I was a little kid that stole the communion wine. I got in a fight behind a puppet show one time, rolled out on a stage in a church presentation. I had a really vivid church life. But the whole time, because I knew certain things and could say them, I said I was saved. And nobody around me openly disagreed. Because they were scared that if they pointed the shining light on my life, what would happen to theirs? Yeah. But the Bible says, do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. The Bible says that we come confidently into His presence. When you know who you are in Christ, you are not scared to say, brother, that is wrong. In fact, Paul said one time to a whole group of people, you know how righteous, holy, and blameless we were when we were among you? Can you imagine writing that sentence? See, the church has lost the ability to point out sin because the church is not walking in the way. It simply believes that it is the right way, but does not do it. Let a congregation begin talking about giving alms to the poor and the pastor gets nervous and says, but first give to the plate. They didn't pass offerings in the first century churches. They did not pass little plates in front of you and said, give. As a little kid, I dropped a penny in it and thumped the bottom. They did not do that. There were simply boxes where if you were moved to give, you could drop money in. When Paul said, have your collection ready on the first day of the week, it's because he was coming to get that box. There was no such thing as giving under compulsion. And some twisted that. There was no security in the day. There was no uh, ADT monitoring system. So this would be a vase-shaped box. And it would narrow at the neck so that you could drop coins into it but could not reach your hand in to get coins out. You envisioning a vase? 
So, pious people who wanted everyone to know they were pious would take pockets of change and go throw it all in the top at once. So they would rattle going down. You know what that was called? Sounding the trumpet. And Jesus, Jesus criticized them. He said they sound trumpets when they give. He said, don't let your right hand know what your left is doing. This was not some weird secretive thing. He was saying that he did not want us to be involved in a faith that said all of the right things, that presented all of the right images, but inwardly was not walking with God. Do you think that that warning is fit for today? Turn with me to Jeremiah 6. In Jeremiah 6, yeah, that's much better, isn't it? Sometimes when you're walking in a way and you look around and you notice the scenery is not what you would like, when you're supposed to be headed towards the ocean and instead you see mountains or desert plains, you have to stop intersection and get on a right road. Right, man, we hate this. This is the point you have to lean over and tell your wife, you were right, honey. This is the Hebrew concept of teshuvah. The Hebrew concept of repentance is specifically the way that you are walking is not in the correct direction. The speed might also be off. The stride might also be off. The way that you are walking is not correct. You must stop, turn around, and walk in the direction you are being given. So tell me, is a person repentant when they say, I'm sorry? That's not repentance. Numbers 5 teaches you exactly how to make repentance. But I'll let you read it. It has to do with changing your entire life's direction. Don't tell me you're repentant when you plan to commit the same sin again this week that you did last week. That is not repentance. What was the message that Jesus himself... The first words he began to announce to Israel, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. This meant the whole nation needed to change its direction and receive God's direction, His dominion, His kingdom. You know why they didn't like it? The vast majority of them could not respond to that message because they were already sure that they were in the right direction, walking the right way. And they resented anything that pointed out that they weren't. You don't know anybody like that, do you? You've never seen anybody like that who would hire preachers who would tell them what their itching ears want to hear. Who would assemble large numbers of people and put together lots of money. But none of it was truly being directed by God. Recently, a man spent $100 million. Think about that number. $100 million. People's life saving. Because he believed that despite the Bible's clear wording of no man will know the day or the hour, he was absolutely convinced and convinced hundreds of thousands of people Jesus would return on May 21st. Well, surely a man like this had gotten every prediction in his entire life right. And that's why people listen to him. Now, he did the same thing in 1994. And on May 22nd, 
proclaimed an October date. And I assure you, there would be people that followed it. We are prone, inclined, to do anything but the right thing. Because the right way is always leading us towards self-sacrifice. It is always leading us towards the cross. And every other way is wide and easy. Is your religion easy? Or does it require you to walk as Jesus walked? Jeremiah 6, I'd like to read to you the 13th verse. From the least of these to the greatest of all, they are greedy for grain. Prophets and priests alike all practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Are they ashamed of their loathsome conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. When American ministries who say that the Bible is the inherent word of God openly accept things that the Bible absolutely says is sin. Like, oh, it doesn't matter what their sexual orientation is, let them preach. And they don't even blush about it. Or let's remove all emphasis on the blood. Let's remove talk of crucifixion. We don't want to make people uncomfortable. And don't even blush. Tell me we don't have greasy, gray, sloppy, adopty, full good, feel good religion. And if your mind begins to conjure up images of one denomination, please be smarter than that. When the whole world runs after such things, when 76% of a nation identifies with it, but has doubts about their neighbors, you can be sure. I tell you what, you could criticize the followers of Jesus in the first century for all kinds of things. They wash their hands, they don't wash their hands, they fast, they don't fast. Whatever you might criticize them for, I don't think there was a single person who thought that they weren't sincere in their walk. Because they gave their lives for it. It was the expectation of the first century church that you would die in the faith, likely because of the faith. I'm curious, how many of you, if you thought there was a good chance you'd be shot next week for coming here? Do you think we'd have a high attendance Sunday? <coughs> John Hagee preaching on a memorial day said, We stand here to honor the men and women who have risked their lives for the production of this country. And we're in a vast cathedral. Next week, if only those who would risk their life for the defense of the faith showed up, we could meet in a pub tent. Those were his words, not mine. He said it about his own church. What is your life hinging upon? So they, fall, so they will fall among the fallen. They will be brought down when I punish them. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look at the ancient path. Stand at what kind of road? Crossroads. The crossroads. There's a lot of ways that that could be emphasized today. I would like you to think about the road where the cross is. Stand at the crossroads and look at the ancient path. What is ancient? Ancient is whatever went before the generation who is hearing it. Men have been walking with God since Adam in the garden, but the vast majority do not do it. Hey, Cain and Abel, which one was walking with God? Somebody spit out Abel right away. Weren't they both bringing him sacrifices? Weren't they both having conversations with him? Hmm? 
Didn't they both receive direction from him? So which one was walking with him? I say you were right, Brandon. I say it was Abel. But they both were involved in religious activity, weren't they? Yeah. We have this way of thinking that everything that the Bible says is negative or that is negative. The unrighteous, that's all always somewhere outside the building. And the truth is it is always within your own family. Just harder to see it. How do you recognize the followers of Cain and the followers of Abel's righteous way? John said, you cannot love God that you cannot see if you don't love man that you do see. It's been my experience that religious people are the meanest on the planet. I mean, it's just the truth. People who are head over heels in love with Jesus may not describe themselves as religious, but people who call themselves religious are often the meanest on the planet. Probably second only to intellectual liberal elites that in the name of acceptance hate anyone with a different view than them. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient past. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. There is no rest when you are not walking in the way because your God loves you. And He is making bread of adversity and the waters of affliction teachers for you. Guides that say, this is not good for you. It's going to hurt you. Please don't continue in it. You're feeling resistance here because it is not the right direction for you. I want you over here. He is steering us so that we don't fall into ditches. He said, stand at the crossroads and ask what the right way is, the good way, and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But you said we will not walk in it. Really, it's up to you. <sighs> Micah wanted to write down something that was given to him from God. And in the 6th chapter and the 18th verse, he wrote three things that are required of a man. To walk humbly. To love mercy. And to act justly. All of the teachings of Jesus. All of the following Him. He, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through Me. But then examine what He did. He did whatever God told Him to do in that moment and in that day. Whatever it was. He didn't go consult a religious rule book. He didn't go meet with those who were in authority before He was. He cared about one person's approval. And that was his father. So the question before you today, friends, is do you care more about the approval of your father or the approval of your brothers? The question before you is, can you say you are walking in the right way and you're in peace? Or do you need to make a course correction? In the book of Ephesians and the book of Thessalonians, Paul, more than any of the other New Testament writers, used a Greek phrase. I put it in your bulletin today. And the Greek phrase... Is translated in the NIV, live, but it actually means walk. I pray that you live a life worthy of the calling of God means that I pray that you walk in a direction, a manner, a speed, a zeal that is worthy of the God who is longing to be gracious to you, longing to be compassionate. He's saying, please, follow me. If you step where I step, you'll always land on dry ground. I'll make level paths. Hurt your feet. You'll walk through the fire and it will not hurt you. 
You walk through the deep and you will not drown. You walk and you will not get tired. You will not get hungry. I'll elevate you. I'll accelerate you. I will take care of you. The reason many people cannot see God as their father is he's not caring for them like a father because they are not walking with him. They don't get to see the benefit of his gracious, compassionate nature. Because all they find are goats. You call those people goats. Goats are for goats. Sheep follow the shepherd. I pray that you don't kick against the goats this week. I love you. I believe that God assembled you here for a special reason. You could be in any worship service anywhere, and there are a bunch of very good ones in this place. Texas is full of good churches. Sugarland has got good churches in it. And he brought you here to hear this message. So he's either wasting your time, or he had something for you to learn, or you will waste his. Those are the only three options that we have here. I would say two of them are unacceptable. So what did he have for you today? Stand to your feet. Run DMC and Aerosmith will tell you to walk this way. Frankie Valley said walk like a man. I tell you, you are sons of God and you are called to walk like God. The question is not what would Jesus do? He already did it. The question is, what will you do in his name? I pray you answer the call. What would it be like if all the sons of God and daughters of God were manifest? What if everybody out there could see your love and your zeal for him? Twelve Jewish boys changed the fate of the world. What could you do? They didn't have internet. They didn't have planes, trains, and automobiles. They didn't have personal communication devices, PDAs. They brought the gospel to the world. What is the reason we're not bringing it to our neighbors? What is hindering us? We live in a land that is so free and so affluent. What are we spending our affluence and our freedom on? Come on, Memorial Day is coming. When did they fight and die to give you the right to choose? I love the military, but I love being a soldier in the army of the Lord. And Paul told Timothy, no soldier, none, concerns himself with civilian affairs. Who sang what? Who wears what? Who drives what? You ought to be driven with a passion from heaven. And if that's not your passion, be honest about it. Announce it. I don't know if I'm in the faith. Because what you're describing is not really me. Then count the cost. It's not a magic moment at an altar. It's more like a birth with a life that follows it. I'm going to pray for you. We're going to let you go. If you want help, come find us. If you want to be born again, come back. It's not an emotional moment at the altar that is easily done, easily forgotten, and then easily walked away from. It ought to be an agonizing, gut-wrenching coming to grips with who you are and who you need to be. I pray that this stuff doesn't bore you. 
you've heard it all before and there's nothing left to offer you here, and I'm sure there's a church that will tell you what you want to hear. I want you to become children of God. Pray for us, Matthew. Jesus, we thank you for your word is living and active. It joint marrow, soul, and spirit. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. Oh God, we thank you for setting our feet with your word on the right path. Jesus, I bless everyone's week. Pray that we're able to take what's in here and perform it. Amen. 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 Hey, there's a men's meeting.